Hello, and welcome to the Blog You Want in a Time You Have podcast, the show that empowers you to stop making excuses to not blog and realize the potential of content marketing. I'm your host, Scott Winteroth, co-founder of contentacademy.com. I invite you to join me each episode for actionable strategies for elevating your blog to the next level and hear from other content rock stars who will share with you exactly what keeps them on task so you can stop wishing for success and start living to your fullest potential. Ready? Three, two, one, publish. What's up, the blog you want in time you have listeners? This is episode number 39, Maximizing Your Blog's Images by Minimizing the Pixel Count. This is kind of a long episode, so bear with me, but I think you're going to be happy to listen to the entire thing because I've got lots of great tips and tricks for working with images. And this is actually a continuation of my Back to Basics series, which I introduced in episode number 38, where I'm going to cover ideas, instruction, and updated resources for creating your best content, regardless of how many years you have been at it. In that episode, I shared how critical images are to telling your story. Plus, I shared a bunch of great resources for where you can download some stock photos and other sources for photos. So definitely go check out the last episode if you haven't already. But in this episode, episode number 39, it's a continuation of that mini-series on working with media and photography. So let's talk about the process of properly working with images from after you select the photo to the insertion of those images into your content. Plus, stick around to the very end of this episode where I'm going to share some bonus tips for optimizing the delivery of your photos with free and low-cost CDN resources. Okay, here we go. For my loyal listeners, y'all know that I am a WordPress guy. And I'm not talking about the free version of WordPress or the WordPress.com. I'm really talking about the open source version of WordPress. And that's what I primarily work with to manage and build my blogs and websites. Uh, This version of WordPress or the open source WordPress.org version requires you to sort of maintain not only WordPress but and the content on your website, but the hosting service for which your website sits on. And when you operate a self-hosted blog with your website, you have the ability to sort of scale your website to meet your exact growth needs. Like I could do anything I want with my website, but sometimes that can come at a little bit of a cost, especially if you ignore like small little details such as your image workflow. With the self-hosted version of WordPress, I can custom build anything I desire. But the trade-off is I have to maintain everything that I build. Consider the implications of whatever I upload on my hosting server, i.e. plugins, themes, or images, as they can sometimes have a negative effect on the overall site load and resources that I use on my site. Because when running a self-hosted WordPress site, I'm not only responsible for managing the WordPress install and the content, but the server resources for which it all operates on. It's sort of similar to how maybe your mobile phone works. You know, maybe you take a few too many pics on your vacation or you you know install a few too many apps. The storage of your phone uh, gets full. And sometimes your phone will like work harder and your battery dies faster and maybe you have to pay for more storage or upgrade. That same sort of concept applies to uh, hosting your self-hosted WordPress site uh, with your hosting account. The more space and overall bandwidth I use on my hosting server with unnecessarily bulky high-resolution images, the more resources it will consume. Eventually, maybe even to the point where I have to pay for those extra resources or upgrade my hosting. Not to mention, unusually slow websites can diminish your search rankings. In my mind, the fewer resources you use, the better off in the world you will live in. Believe me, I've been there. So everyone should optimize images, but if you have a small website with just a few pages and a few images, you're probably okay. But when you begin to scale your content strategy and start to post regularly to your blog and you begin to attract a decent amount of traffic, 
then you start to run into growth problems. And these can include bandwidth overages, CPU cycle limits, and an overall hit to your pocketbook when your hosting company wants to charge you for extra space or upgrade. So before you upload your next image, consider this. It's not a good idea to just upload full resolution images from your phone or camera directly into your WordPress site. This will cause bandwidth problems as well as take up a lot of space on your server. This is something I've experienced firsthand over my years blogging, it happens. But the goal is to basically reduce the image, reduce the size of your images down as best as you can before you upload them into your platform. And reg that's regardless of whatever platform you use. So take the time to create great images, find the best imagery, but be sure to scale it down using programs like Photoshop or the like to reduce them to correct web scalable formats. So when your image is downloaded on your reader's server, it doesn't take too long to do that and it doesn't use a lot of resources in the process. So I'm gonna share with you how I go about managing my blog's image workflow to maximize my storytelling impact while at the same time minimizing my site load resources and those little hits to my pocketbook. Okay, so for number one, let's talk about selecting the appropriate media file type based on the end use application. There are three main types of media file extensions for images. You're probably familiar with them. They have all been around for a long time, but I wanna talk about them just in case uh, you need to sharpen up your skills. But basically, the three main are GIF, PNG, and the King JPEG. You're probably somewhat familiar with them as these extensions have been around for a long time, and many of them are used on the devices you use every day. But which media file type you choose for your blog's images can impact the quality and site load time. So let's review each file type for when you might want to use one over the other. The first one is I want to talk about is GIF, and it's actually pronounced GIF, but popular culture has turned it into GIF, so I'm going to go with GIF. And the GIF is a media format that supports both transparency and animation, and is popular for images that are used for like banner advertisements, simple animated site features, and memes. Uh, maybe you've seen them on Facebook, right? Where one or two frames are basically sort of spliced together to create sort of a fan index card or flipbook animation effect. Maybe when you were a kid, you sort of took a pencil and a, and a, um, a note, bunch, a stack of note cards, and you drew like a little stick figure, and then you made him run across the page by fanning out the the uh, the cards. That's sort of like what I'm talking about with a GIF. But in web development, we sometimes use GIFs in replacement of larger video files to create that animated video background effect or an element where a large video file doesn't necessarily make sense. Large GIFs can be rather um, resource intensive, just like video, so you have to kind of be careful, but there are times where a GIF can be better suited for the device and the application. So for example, a GIF is usually much more uh, easy to work with on a mobile device. Like a GIF will work on almost any mobile device, whereas a video file doesn't always work in every mobile device. So I like to use GIFs on mobile applications. Uh, but I just have to be careful because GIFs can be rather large as well. So you have to make sure that whatever you're doing, it makes sense and it's easy to download. Generally speaking, um, GIFs are sort of like those animated uh, frames, if you will. So sometimes a GIF can be 30, 40, 50, 60 frames, which is a pretty large GIF, or it could be three or four different frames. It just basically uh, repeats in a circle. So if you think about it, each one of those frames is like another image. So you're basically, it's like taking 10 images and putting them together to create one image, which that's why uh, the size can be, quite high or the size can be quite big. So you have to be careful, but GIFs can be very useful. Some people use GIFs also like for, for their still images, 
But um, I've always used PNDs or JPEGs, which I'm going to talk about next. Uh, and um, I don't know why. I guess I could have used a GIF, but ultimately I usually either use a PNG or JPEG, and I'm going to explain the two of those right now. So a PNG is a media format that supports transparency, meaning that whatever is behind the image or the graphic will show through. So like the background color behind the JPEG, or the sorry, the background color behind the PNG will show through. Uh, this this format isn't really kind of ideal for logos or cutouts or any type of graphic that needs to show transparency because they are not a standard rectangle or square. Uh, PNG provides that that ability to create that transparency, but they also they lack the ability to compress to the smallest file size possible. That's why the next media type is sort of the king of all the digital media fo photo formats, and that's a JPEG. Uh, the JPEG is, is popular among media types because it provides the most image compression, but it does not support transparency, but it does support what's called lossness, lossy or lossnesses, meaning that the image can be uh, appear rather large, but not bulky and take up a lot of space. So it's like you can cut the fat out, right? And it will still look pretty good. JPEGs are sometimes not ideal for logos or graphics unless you can match the background color of the image or the background color of its final application. So for example, if... The background color of the logo is white, but also the background of the header of the blog or the website is white, then it could work. So you could use a JPEG for that situation. But if the background color of your logo um, should be gray, but the background color is blue, then you'll have to um, not use a JPEG. You'll have to use a PNG, something that supports transparency or a GIF actually. GIFs support transparency as well. As well. Um, but either way, uh, JPEGs are really ideal for like images that accompany a blog post or featured images where they almost are always square and naturally rectangle and doesn't re don't usually require transparency. If you have an image of, for example, the Eiffel Tower because you're talking about your trip to Paris, then you probably don't need to have transparency because the Eiffel Tower image will just be a, a landscape image that doesn't need transparency, if that makes sense. So when possible, use JPEGs because it provides the most compression. Uh, just be careful to not overly compress your photos to a point where they start to look grainy or gross. Uh, images that are images can be powerful too, as to help tell your story. But if it starts to get grainy or the images kind of look gross, then uh, that can degrade your message. So be sure to use JPEGs with caution and just try to reduce them to the best file size possible without overly reducing them to the point where they don't look so great. Um, for some great sources of images for your blog, be sure to check out the last episode, episode 38, for a complete guide to finding images for your blog. You can go to blogyouwant.com slash 38 to check out that story and all the great resources I have there. But also while you're there, I want you to check out episode number 39 show notes because I have added a free bonus video where I'm going to show you literally every file type I just mentioned. Uh, look, this is a very uh, image friendly topic, if you will, very visual friendly topic. So I thought it'd be easier to put it all into a video to showcase the three different file types. And if you go to blogyouwant.com slash 39, you can view my uh, tutorial screencast that I created to accompany this lecture. So check that out. Let me know if you have any feedback. So the next sort of section of this uh, instruction I want to talk about was, uh, would be um, what size should my images be, right? I get this question a lot when I do my workshops or coaching is people ask me, okay, well, if I need to reduce the size of my images, how big should they be or how little should they be? And it's kind of hard to explain, but ultimately images are measured essentially in two ways, by pixels and by file size. Uh, the more pixels generally means the larger file size of the image. Uh, but when it comes to the web, we want to take the best looking photos at their smallest possible file size. 
So to answer what is the ideal photo size for your blog's images is hard because it depends on the application of the file and the format needs. Uh, my rule of thumb is the smallest file size possible without degrading the image clarity. So what are pixels, you might ask? Well, again, kind of hard to explain in, a video, in an audio medium, but ultimately my computer dictionary defines pixels as a minute area of illumination on my display screen one of many from which an image is composed. We think of pixels, we must consider that our device screens are made up of thousands of tiny illuminated pixels, if you will, that are about the size of a pinhead. And a high resolution 13 inch MacBook with a retina display has the capability of displaying over 2,560 pixels by 1,600 pixels at 232 pixels per square inch or PPI. It's kind of hard to fathom in audio, it's kind of hard to explain, but basically, a standard laptop screen can basically hold about 2,000 or 2,500 pixels wide in terms of uh, images, right? So according to unitconverters.net, about one inch is about 96 pixels wide on average. The average laptop screen is about 14 inches, if you will. So if you think about the average laptop screen, high resolution, or this would be some more sort of standard resolution, I would say, is about 1,300 pixels wide in standard definition. So... If you take a look at the phone, the photos that come off like my iPhone, so I have an iPhone 6S, and the back-facing camera takes high-resolution photos at about 4,000 pixels wide, right, at 72 PPI, creating a 2.3 megabyte JPEG file that is, if you were to open it up, if you were to compare that inch to pixel ratio, that's a whopping 42 inches wide. Right, it's pretty huge, which is great if you want to print the photos. But when using them in web applications, you don't need to have that big of a photo, right? You don't even need a photo that's really bigger than 13 inches, if you will. Most uh, applications don't even really need to be bigger than a couple inches for the photo. So what we want to do is we want to take photos in high resolution on our camera in the event that we decide to print them out or use them for other type of uh, applications or maybe you want to use them as the background image where you do really need a much higher image size or for video work. But at the end of the day, for most of us who are blogging and creating content, we want to use the best possible picture quality at the lowest file size possible. So um, I always recommend to sort of keep um, the image file sizes for your web not to be any bigger than about 1200 pixels wide. I usually reduce every photo I have down to about 1200 pixels wide before I upload them into my site. Uh, I just think it's the best practice. That way if I do want to use that photo for a, a larger application like a big slider or a big background type of image, I have it, but then I can still reduce it down even further once it's within the website. Okay. Point number three of this lesson, from your camera to your content, some best practices for optimizing your images. Okay, I hope I made a, a compelling case for why you need to optimize your images before you upload them in, into your blog or website, but now I want to transition into how you might go about doing that. Um, some stock photography websites like Pexels and Pixabay actually will let you download the right size image uh, when you download it from their website, which is great. I'm glad they do this. It helps save a step. Other stock websites only let you download one size, and if you took a photo with your phone or camera, it's going to be in high resolution. If you download the high resolution image from either a stock site or from your device or camera, or even uh, a screenshot for that matter, if you take a screenshot of your computer desktop, it's best to open up that asset into a photo editing tool like Adobe Photoshop to resize the image and save for web. Once I open the photo up in Photoshop, I will go in and edit the image size to reduce the image down to an appropriate size for its application. 
probably no bigger than 1200 pixels wide. Then once I sort of rescale or resize the image down to about 1200 pixels wide from whatever, however bigger it was before, then I'll go to file, export, and save for web and optimize even further by selecting the appropriate file type, JPEG, PNG, or GIF. And then uh, add, if it's a JPEG, I can continue to add more compression until I get a good looking photo, but with the least file size possible. So again, this is one of those things that's kind of hard to explain. And it's such a visual medium since, since it's a tutorial. So I encourage you to go to theblogyouwant.com slash 39 to download my step-by-step -step cheat sheet for how to properly reduce the size of your images in Photoshop. There are plenty of other programs, which I'm going to talk about in a future episode, but I use Photoshop. I think it's definitely the photo you want to use for file image editing and file uh, and image manipulation. But of course, if you have a program that you like or a program that you think is better, feel free to shoot me a line. I'd love to hear what you use. Uh, also, there are some other uh, programs you can find in like the Mac store or on the, for the PC that will let you do it. Uh, just file image compression. Uh, personally, I think Photoshop is still one of the best programs for that, but I know it's not a free program and sometimes people don't, people don't like to make that type of investment into their blog strategy. I don't know why not, but I, I for me, that's the program that I use. So um, when you're exporting images from programs like Adobe Photoshop or something similar, I highly recommend determining a file naming process. Consider using a file naming process that makes it easy for you to find the photo or the subject by topic or whatever makes the most sense for you. When you are searching your computer for or within the WordPress media library, you want to you want the file name to have something, some type of keyword that will trigger a search query. Uh, this will help you save a ton of time and headache, believe me. I actually wrote a very detailed blog post for contentacademy.com with ways to organize your computer's files and folders for success. And I, I will link to that in the show notes so you can read up on what I said for that. But definitely think about when you actually resave your photos, give that a name and a title that will make sense for when you're searching for what you're trying to find. Okay, so once the image is optimized, then I'll head on over to my WordPress site and upload that into the post page or media library and try to fill out as much of the meta information as possible, including the file name, description, and caption if needed, and alternative text. Depending on your theme, some of this meta information will show along with your image, so be sure to test them out to know which ones will actually do that. But most importantly, write a description that explains what the photo is about when you upload it into WordPress. This will help you be able to find it easier when you're searching for things in the future. Almost write descriptions that are almost like as if you're explaining the photo to someone who couldn't physically see them, right? Use descriptions that are, are basically like this is a yellow cup on a brown table, right? Try to explain, try to write descriptions that basically, um, would explain to someone who couldn't physically see it. In fact, that's actually what the alt text fields are for. Uh, the alt text is a field to help screen readers explain a photo to a user with visual disabilities. So I wanna take a, one hot second to talk about optimizing for accessibility. And I'm not an accessibility expert by no means, but I do care about people who use my website and blog who maybe do have a visual or other type of uh, impairment. Therefore, um, when you leave the information blank and a user sort of is reading your website who maybe is using a screen reader, you don't want the computer to reply with something like, this is image number one, two, 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 two. Rather, you want an appropriate saying for what that image is like, saying, hey, this is an image of a green cup in the center of a brown table. So if you were listening to your photos, what would they say? And then that's what you should use for your alt text description within WordPress. Take the time to sit down and imagine what a good description of your image would be and that will really help people find and learn more about your content 
And that's what the alt text is all for, all about. Uh, provides users with the ability to hear about your photo versus see it. So just a really good point. And then finally, um, I wanna talk about optimizing the delivery of images. So once the images are within your WordPress media library and displaying on your site, there are still some things to consider for optimizing your blog's images. The first and most common image optimization techniques is to deliver them from a different media server. Uh, typically, this is what we call a CDN or CDN hosting, where basically uh, the CDN serves images from a static server outside of your WordPress site. So it's a, on a different hosting account than what your actual WordPress site is on. And this is what's called the CDN or content delivery network. Basically, uh, a CDN is a uh, can be somewhat costly and sometimes a little bit of overkill depending on how big your site is or how many images you have on it. I don't really recommend getting deep into CDNs if you're just getting started or you know, you've been doing it for just a couple of years. I actually recommend using some free image optimization services. Uh, WordPress's Jetpack actually has a free CDN built into it. Uh, and for years it was called Photon, but I think now it's called Site Accelerator. So I'm gonna talk a little about Jetpack for WordPress and how you can use this free resource to optimize the delivery of your images. So Jetpack, if you're not familiar, is a WordPress.org plugin that you can use on your website. It's actually owned by Automatic, which is the company that is owned by Matt Mullenweg, the co-founder of WordPress. And each website basically has Jetpack that you can install and connect with your WordPress.org site with WordPress.com. And in there, they have a fantastic free feature called Site Accelerator now, which basically takes your images and serves them from a super fast server. It's actually the WordPress.com servers, right? So it uses your images and serves them from the super fast server. Why they do this for free, I'm not sure, but I'll take it. So um, I'm not sure how or why they do it, but basically it saves you some big bucks and headache from trying to configure and manage your own CDN. So be sure to install and activate Jetpack from Automatic and turn on the site optimization features for images and maybe other features if they work for you. So I get this question a lot too, or sometimes run into this scenario a lot. What if you have a ton of images on your blog already that have not been optimized before? Or maybe you have multiple users on your site and you know not everyone is optimizing their own images. Look, we've all been there. The most important thing is that you take from right now forward and start optimizing your images. But if you have a lot on your on your site, then I have a couple of resources and a couple options for you for you. So if you've been uploading images over the years and not optimizing them or others on your site are uploading images and you don't think they are uploading are optimizing their images, there are a couple WordPress plugins out there that can help you with image optimization services that will reduce and optimize the size of images after they've been uploaded into your media library. I'm not a big fan of these because I'm 100% behind uploading and optimizing your images before you upload them. But if you have a site with many images that are not already optimized or you have multiple users, sometimes you have no choice. So the first one I recommend is uh, imagefy.io. And this is not really a free plugin. The plugin's free, but the service is actually a paid service. There's also another one called Smushit, S-M-U-S-H-I-T. And of course, I'll have the links in the show notes. But these services provide basically post-upload optimization services that I recommend if you find yourself... Um, with a bunch of images that have not been optimized or you find your site, your site getting kind of slow because of images on your site. Also, I got to give a shout out to SiteGround. If you use SiteGround WordPress hosting, they offer a server-side image optimization service where you can go and optimize your images with the SG Optimizer plugin as part of your plan. And this will basically uh, 
optimize the, the images that are already on your site as well as the future future images that you upload. So again, a great resource by SiteGround if you already have an account with them. And I don't know why you wouldn't because that's where I host all my WordPress sites. Be sure to um, use that plugin or use that option in the SG Optimizer plugin. Uh, definitely well worth it. Okay, so finally, I want to talk a little bit about speed testing. Right? So if you do all this optimization in your images, you probably want to see the fruits of your labor, right? You want to see if everything that you've done is actually coming to work. So my last tip is for is opt for optimizing your images for your site is to make sure that your efforts don't go unnoticed, right? You probably want to test your website page load speed. So uh, I like to use this free page speed testing tool called Pingdom Website Speed Test. And of course, a link is in the show notes. But if you take a look at it, you'll enter your website URL into it, and basically it provides you with a report for your blog with some tips on how to continue to optimize your speed. And of course, it's going to tell you more than just image optimization techniques, but for the most part, you'll see like what's called in the waterfall test. It will tell you what resources are taking the longest to load. So if you see a lot of images in that waterfall that's taking a long time to load, then you know you have an image optimization problem. I'm going to save more. I'm going to save this part for a future episode because this is actually a really important technique for optimizing your your site speed and your site load time. But it's more than just uh, there's a lot to it. So I think it's something definitely good for a future episode. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you get my future episode on optimizing your overall site speed. Uh, and testing with the Pingdom test tool. So definitely check that out in the show notes. Also, feel free to jump in and just try it out and let me know how it goes. So don't forget to get my step-by-step -step guide for how to optimize images in Photoshop so, and also the video tutorial I did on the three different image media types. So go to blogyouwant.com slash 39 to download my free tutorial cheat sheet. And please consider leaving a review. And if you have any questions or you need any additional help with your blogging or coaching, go on to blogyouwant.com and get in touch. I have ways for you to contact me in many, many ways. And I would love to hear from you. So that's it for this episode. I'll be back again soon with a lot more great tips for maximizing your blog's images and really being the best content creator you can be. Now get blogging.